With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle Hughes from Ageless and Timeless. Uh, Today, we have a really wonderful guest. I want to tell you a little bit about him. We've known each other for about, I think, 20 years, huh, Graham? Yeah, I think it's been that long. (laughs) Yeah, Dr. Graham Simpson, who is um, a doctor that um, everyone should know about because he's doing a lot of very important work, particularly with uh, diabetes. And uh, although he's really an anti-aging doctor, but um, so Graham and I met uh, many years ago and we've done some interactions, some actually business transactions together. And uh, we were both uh, involved with Dr. Stephen Sinatra and Dr. Uh, Barry Sears. We were going to start something that was very exciting, Graham, I, I thought anyway, was called the Zone Cafe. And it was taking after um, it was after Dr. Sears's. Uh, revolutionary breakthroughs in the zone, if people might remember that. And uh, anyway, so we were, the idea that Graham came up with, I think, was your concept, Graham, to start little zone cafes all over the country and using the zone diet. And um, well, anyway, the zone, um, you had one in Reno, right? Or Yeah, that was a prototype. And uh, yeah, it was doing actually reasonably well. And it, it the whole concept was to, you know, people love fast food and then it's not going to stop. But we wanted to sort of make delicious fast food that, you know, would help people with their nutrition, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so at that time I was doing uh, my real estate projects in Hawaii and I was having a big birthday. I can't remember which number, but it was a big one. And um, we had the idea to bring the chef from the Zone Cafe and we had a party for about, I don't know, 500 people out on a huge property that we owned, uh, 7,000 acres, and we took part of it. Uh, and created the the uh, like a, a zone evening, and it was hugely successful, particularly in Hawaii. I think that's an amazing uh, accomplishment because the people, many people there, haven't quite arrived yet in terms of their nutritional enlightenment. So uh, anyway, but they love the food, and we had a wonderful evening. And I was too bad, Graham, you couldn't come. We we lit up this entire field, so much so that the planes coming in from Oahu uh, had to divert. And we got a little bit of flack on that later. But, uh, but anyway, they were all curious to see what all these lights were out in the middle of nowhere. So um, anyway, but that was our, um, one, I think, one of our first interactions with, with many others. So anyway, let me just give you a little background. So Dr. Simpson, you're, you're, you grew up in, in uh, South Africa, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. In... Um... Born in Cape Town and uh, went to medical school in Johannesburg. Right. And how did you happen to come to the United States? Well, I went via England. Um, My great-great-grandfather was Sir James Young Simpson, who invented chloroform. Actually, Queen Victoria's third child was done with chloroform. But uh, I had a contact because of that at Hammersmith Hospital, and I was going to do obstetrics and gynecology. But I realized I realized after a few months that I'd I, I, I was I wasn't crazy about the weather and things, so I decided to move to the states, and that's where I went to. And how come? How did you get to uh, Las Vegas, and then well, also California? Yeah, I I mean I first um, you know started here in Vegas, and you know obviously I I did internal medicine and emergency medicine and things, and. Um, that was sort of the first stop and obviously um you know vegas was kind of near and dear to me at that at one time we used to run the 
the the early emergency rooms in Vegas. This was back in the late seventies. So um, you know, Sunrise and Southern Nevada Memorial, which became UMC University Medical Center, were the ER. So I suppose the first part of my life for twenty odd years was in emergency medicine, looking for all the acute stuff. And then obviously I, I, I became more and more aware it's a lot easier to prevent, uh, you know, rather than try and cure, um, you know, people. So, you know, I transitioned about 20 years ago into, you know, really a more integrated, preventive, proactive approach to medicine. So what, um, what who inspired you? Where, where did you get your mentoring and, and your early development in terms of choosing the alternative and, and um, holistic path versus the allopathic? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was even in my emergency days, I was very curious, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you remember Jan Smuts. He was the one of the earlier presidents of South Africa, and he wrote a very interesting book called Holism and Evolution. In fact, the term holism, if you look it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, actually refers to his concept of emergent life forms and, you know, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, you know, reading some people like that, and there were a lot of early you know, people, Rene Dubois and others who, you know, were, were very instrumental. And we actually, I think back in the late 70s or, you know, mid 70s, we actually, you know, started a holistic health sort of conferences in San Diego. And a friend of mine, uh, John Travis, who really had a lot to do with putting the word wellness on the map, you know, before that, uh, the term wellness was used by a psychiatrist called Herbert Dunn. And John Travis sort of took some of the concepts and he had a, a center in Mill Valley, um, you know, this was back in the 70s. So, you know, we were just starting to explore, you know, what is wellness and what does wellness medicine mean? This was long before any wellness program started at corporate wellness and all that type of thing. But uh, Larry Chapman was one of the early pioneers, or oh, this was more than 30 years ago, um, you know, introducing, and I think he's done thousands of presentations and sort of encouraged the whole wellness movement in the corporate world. So, you know, there were countless people. I, I think one of, also uh, one of my my favorite people um, was Larry Dosey because he was very much about the mind body and the non-local mind sort of aspects of medicine so larry i met in in dallas over oh 30 years ago and uh i think my latest book actually um the one on living beyond 100 i actually dedicated to larry I, I, he was a a real giant in in the field and there were many others i mean um at that time when i met him in dallas um you know i met um a number of good uh, nutritionists and you know other people in the exercise world and you know it, it gradually over the years and particularly the last you know 20 something years uh, we've been very much interested in looking at some of the root causes of disease and you know there's so much exciting you know uh, material now happening with um, you know AI and machine learning and and epigenetics and all these kinds of things so it's been a gradual evolution I think and you know really for the last 20 years or so I've just practiced proactive medicine and been out of the traditional you know out of the traditional medicine. Well when uh, just curious because um, I was going to mention your new book uh, Living Beyond 100 and um, I want to encourage our viewers to um look i i believe it's on amazon right Graham? yeah 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 there's a number there probably about 10 books but the, the the last one was living beyond 100 and um sort of the concepts of living below five and then living beyond 100 uh living beyond beyond five is really the first step i think in anti-aging because what's affecting us now um michelle i i mean it's a it's a pandemic of uh, unprecedented kind of uh, proportions is that 88 percent of americans are now insulin resistant and basically metabolic stress which is insulin resistance is responsible for 80 percent of the deaths that we see in humans worldwide 
and also, you know, what shortens your health span as well as your lifespan. Today's podcast is brought to you by Gemetria Products. Gemetria is based in Carlsbad, California, and they manufacture ultra-high-quality dietary supplements using qi, QI technology. Qi, as you probably know, is the energy that runs throughout our bodies and is the basis of Chinese medicine. Use the code AGELESS and get 20% off your order. I highly recommend Gemetria's products. I personally use the Complete Aminos, the Heart Gems, and the Methuselah Life, which is an RNA and DNA uh, sublingual spray. The website to go to is www.gematria.com slash chi, Q-I, hyphen, technology. And there you'll find out more about this fascinating company, their products, and the technology. So let's define some of those terms, uh, because I think a lot of people uh, get confused when we talk about metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance and so forth. So let's just take a deep dive for us and start at the beginning and give us the overview. I just want to say as a preface to this, that your book goes into a lot of detail um, for the layperson. So I encourage everyone who is dealing with this type of situation, if there's 88% of you out there, then that's a, that's a huge population. So uh, in, the, in your book, you do define and you break down each of the blood uh, tests that you can take that will measure your um, pre-diabetes, diabetes 2, insulin resistance, glucose, metabolism, and so forth. So anyway, give us some uh, definitions so we can be a little more educated. Sure. So um, obviously, just uh, let me preface, look, type 1 and type 2 diabetes are different. Type 1 diabetes is when obviously the pancreas that makes insulin is, you know, destroyed often, um, you know, in, in young people in their, in, you know, in their teens and things. So that's a different type of disease. And I, what I would like to refer to is mostly, you know, 95% of people have type 2 diabetes. And most, most of these people um, are, are fat. I mean, insulin resistance drives obesity and it drives diabetes and it actually drives all chronic disease that we see. And this is because the the insulin type 2 diabetics have lots of insulin floating around, but it's so-called insulin resistance. It's not working in the body. So you know, a lot of people still give type 2 diabetics insulin. And to be honest, insulin to a overweight, you know, diabetes, you know, diabetes, uh, diabetes is really the combination of diabetes and obesity because they often coexist. But giving, you know, insulin to a type 2 diabetic will actually increase their morbidity and mortality 22%. So, you know, what uh, the treatment of you know, diabetes and all these chronic diseases is really to regain insulin sensitivity and metabolic flexibility. The prime drivers of this pandemic globally that we're seeing, I mean, half the world is now fat, diabetic, and sick. So the, the drivers of this is quite simple. It's sugar, grains, and adulterated uh, plant oils, but particularly sugar and grains. The average American is now eating 150 pounds of sugar a year and 200 pounds of grain and 5,000 teaspoons of adulterated oils. For instance, in England in the 1700s, the average Englishman or woman only ate five pounds of sugar and it has increased tremendously. And you don't have to look far. If you look back, what happened, you know, we were hunter-gatherers for 600,000 generations. And then about 10,000 years ago, you know, we, we became agriculturists. That was the first time that grains and these things were planted. And we've, we were sort of maybe 600 generations of agriculturists, of farmers. And then, you know, obviously we 
had the you know the modern diet and obviously the ultra modern diet in the last you know generation or so which is i believe is the tipping point of what's happened if i i don't know if you know this michelle but in 2019 figures america for the first time our lifespan dropped by two years and three months for me that was the tipping point where ultra processed food and this, by the way, was before COVID. It had nothing to do with COVID. Um, you know, we actually dropped this. And this, I think, is because of this pervasive, um, you know, more than 50% of the calories consumed by modern Americans is ultra-processed food, which is extremely toxic. Uh, I mean, we now know that sugar, particularly fructose, you know, uh, many of us, I think in, in medical school and things, we thought, well, oh, fructose is just, you know, natural sugar. Uh, you know, it doesn't do any harm. Wrong. I mean, fructose is more toxic than than glucose. And so, you know, fructose goes straight to the livers to start giving you insulin resistance. I would, I would say now one in two people in America have fatty, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, one in two people. It's just incredible. And 88% of the population is basically insulin resistance, meaning that that on that downward spiral to, you know, create lots of chronic disease. Most Americans, by the time they get into their late 50s and early 60s, have one or more or two or more chronic diseases. All these diseases, hypertension, strokes, heart attacks, cancer, Alzheimer's, ED. I mean, 75% of men with erectile dysfunction have basically diabetes. It is the major cause of these things. And often once that ED happens, that's usually like the canary in the coal mine, which means that within, you know, probably four or five years, that person's going to have a heart attack. So it's incredibly important for doctors to start connecting. You know, the, the reactive disease medicine system is so screwed up. Um, you know, all you do with your diabetes now, you go to the doctor and each year or every six months, he starts increasing usually more medication, more medication. The truth is diabetes can be reversed in four to six weeks. I have another book called The Four-Week Diabetes Cure. But I'll tell you a funny story that maybe your listeners would find interesting. I mean, I was in, I spent about 10 years in the Middle East and obviously had a lot of contact in India and, and um, in Pakistan and other places. But in India, we started using these little sugar glucose monitors in those days it wasn't like the, the the Libra Freestyle where you could have your own little phone measure these sugars. In those days, it was the Libra Freestyle Pro. So what we would do is we'd put on a little uh, sugar sensor. And if I saw you and you were the diabetic patient, I'd say, look, Michelle, you know, don't do anything. Keep taking your medicine. Just eat your diet and, you know, give me some idea. Record your food a little bit and come back and see me in four days. And you'd come back and, and you know, I'd look at your figures and, you know, your sugar might be 200, 360, all over the place, but very high. And then I'd say to the person, look, for the next four days, I want you to eat off my green sheets. Green sheets were essentially a, a keto type diet. It was, you know, high fat, moderate protein, low carbs. And I'd say, do me a favor. If you can try and eat dinner early and breakfast late, i.e., intermittent fasting and i'd say look why don't you come back in four days i tell you michelle when i saw these things coming back i thought these these little sugar monitors were, were weren't working because they would come back in four days and their sugars would be normal i thought to myself oh my god how did this happen and sure enough it shows you with just a little attention to the body the body has incredibly healing potential in fact in, in well-documented medical research, you can actually reverse one-third of your fatty liver in as little as seven to ten days. That's another shocking thing that I read, that, you know, with very sophisticated tests looking at the amount of fat in the liver, you know, nowadays, I don't know if you know this, but non-alcoholic fatty liver is the major reason people are having liver transplants. And we are seeing, you know, you know bad fatty liver disease in teenage kids. Uh, and many of these, you know, these young kids now have all got type two diabetes. So, you know, it's it's an absolute global 
fiasco. And there's so much money being wasted in terms of more and more medication. They never look at the root causes of these disease, which is very frustrating. You know, when I was in the ER in the old days, I mean, you know, we'd have most of these people coming in with acute heart attacks and strokes and all this type of fat, diabetic, etc. And I, I want to say also at this point, fat does not cause heart disease. This was a myth by Ansel Keys in the 70s, basically a physiologist who never saw a patient in his life. And guess what? The, the average person going to his doctor and the cholesterol's a little raised, what does he do? He gets put on statins. Statins have 144 side effects. Not only that, it can cause diabetes, much higher incidence. Everyone on a statin has cognitive impairment. So, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Not, not only cognitive impairment, but muscle. Atrophy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And pain and all this type yeah, of thing. They don't, they don't tell them to take CoQ10 or Ubiquinol, yeah. which, yeah. which will help to offset the uh, negative uh, impact of the, of the um, statin. And yeah, so and and I mean, people don't realize. In fact, this is well proven. The higher your cholesterol is over the age of fifty, the longer you live. You know, your brain your brain is sixty five percent plus cholesterol and things. All your membranes, every one of your trillions and trillions of cells, is all you know. The membrane is all cholesterol. Um, all your hormones come from cholesterol. You know, I, I see people that come in to see me and they've got a cholesterol of a hundred. And they wonder why they can't get erections. They've got no testosterone because this is where testosterone comes from. It all your hormones come from cholesterol. So, you know, there is, I'm just so up, upset with the current healthcare system. It's just, it's just uh, to me, it's a, it's an absolute debacle. Well, you're absolutely correct, and it's very shocking that America, one of the most, you know, the leader in the free world, has one of the worst healthcare systems. Uh, we're way down. What are we number like forty or something in the health? We're program? actually number forty-four, and we spend more than twice, sometimes more than three or four times, other countries, um, you know, um, expense on our healthcare. I mean, I think in in twenty-one it was four point three trillion dollars. Oh. So I mean, um, it, it's crazy, you know. And then you know, having your your bypass or something, you know, $250,000. And it's interesting, countries like India, you can get a bypass for $5,000 with a better result than right. Mayo Clinic, 17% lower morbidity uh, and mortality in, in India. Because, you know, the, again, India is a country also with, you know, half the country's vegetarian. When you eat a vegetarian diet, you're much, generally speaking, you're at a much higher risk of, of getting um, you know, diabetes and things like that. So, um, you know, it's it's really an interesting thing. And anyway, what I, what I wanted to say is, look, ideally you want to get your hemoglobin A1C below five, your uric acid below five, and also your fasting insulin below five. For me, that's the toxic triad. And I want to really commend uh, uh, David Pilmart on his book, Drop Acid, which is a, a great little book on uric acid. And you can see how toxic uric acid is. Uric acid only comes from three primary things. By far the most important is fructose, alcohol, and obviously very high purine meat, fish diets can do it. But that's the rare cause. Most of it is coming from fructose. And fructose is terribly dangerous because not only does it give you insulin resistance by going straight to your liver, but it also poisons the mitochondria. The mitochondria are the common link between probably all metabolic diseases and mental diseases. I was very pleased to read a book by Christopher Palmer, a, um, a, psych a psychiatrist from Harvard, uh, just a few months ago. It's a relatively new book and it's called Brain Energy. But he points out, and I really believe this, and he makes a very good case for it, that all mental disease, from minor things like depression and anxiety, all the way to things like schizophrenia, major psychosis, and you know, major depression, it's all related to the energy balance inside the brain. And this wasn't actually all that new. There was also a, a guy called John Wilson, who's just a family practitioner. But he had also collected, the, there were a couple of doctors at McLean University many, well, about 20, 30 years ago, but 
there was this whole group of of uh, fifteen diseases, mental diseases they couldn't really quite find the cause for. But um, I think that you know John Wilson, I think is the name of the practitioner uh, who I actually haven't met, but I'd like to. Um, he he basically figured out that most of these people all had what he called Cobb syndrome. And it was basically, he's done probably 15,000 body fats. And remember, this is very important. Most doctors don't even have a body fat machine in their clinic. But your body weight and your BMI don't mean diddly squat. You have to know your percent body fat. A woman should not be more than 28% and a man not more than 20%. Once that starts happening, you can guarantee they're insulin resistance and they're on their way to a whole host of chronic diseases. And I'm just shocked that, you know, 99% of the doctors in the country do not have a body fat. And you can also get skinny fat. I learned this also in India. I see these young little 30-year-old girls, they look like little skinny waifs. And you'd put them on the body fat machine and suddenly you'd find they had 38% body fat. And so these are the so-called skinny fat. They call them tofies, thin on the outside, but fat on the inside. And these people all have metabolic syndrome as well. So it's very interesting. I also want to say something about metabolic syndrome. Look, animals, the, the, and this wasn't my idea, but I think Davis said this, but the animals, ought to, they, they actually develop metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. Why? For instance, Eskimos, they eat, or bears, they're eating all the fruit and things in the summer, and then they obviously go and hibernate, and they have their little uh, offspring, and, you know, for four or five months, the bear doesn't eat. Basically, he's living off his fat. So they actually burn ketones. I mean, and it's also very surprising. I often wondered about that, you know, how do bears pee? Well, they don't because ketones are very clean fuel and it's probably our major fuel. It, it, glucose is, is like a secondary. I think we have evolved primarily and everything works better, particularly our mitochondria. So the point is that animals turn on this fat switch, which is in the mitochondria and they accumulate fat. But then in the <laughs> in the winter time, like Eskimos, yeah, I mean not Eskimos, but like penguins sitting on their egg, you know, in the Arctic there for four, you know, they can live the penguins, emperor penguins can live at least four months without any food. They all develop metabolic syndrome. In fact, even a hummingbird eating fructose all days, he, he develops a liver, you know, fatty liver, and then overnight the fatty liver disappears. So these, this is a normal process, but in humans, we don't turn the fat switch off. The, the hibernating bear or the, you know, the, the, the hummingbird or the penguin, they turn their fat switch off. Humans, we, we do not turn our fat switch off. Most Americans now are eating six meals a day, breakfast, lunch, supper, you know, mid-morning snack, mid-afternoon snack, evening snack. No wonder, you know, no wonder 54% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic. It's just absolutely nuts. Mm -hmm. so, so, so on fructose, uh, Graham, on the fructose issue, uh, because I think a lot of people, you know, don't, don't really know what, what, what is fructose. So can you just give us a little list of those no-no foods yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it's not just fructose. I mean, you know, I just want to say something about these artificial sweeteners. These things are totally toxic. I mean, they we knew this from the 60s and 70s where, you know, they gave mice, you know, uh, Coke and Diet Coke in two groups. And the Diet Coke rats get fatter. And we see this in some of the fattest clients we have around the world are, you know, drinking six or eight 10 diet cokes a day and things so um you know it's not just fructose these are artificial sweeteners but they have their main effect in the microbiome which we can talk about a little later but the microbiome is incredibly important most humans don't know that they are 50 percent bugs and 50 percent human and you've got much more genetic material in your microbes in your gut but anyway getting back to the foods look one serving of basmati rice is 10 teaspoons of sugar. One glass of freshly squeezed orange juice is seven teaspoons of sugar. A medium banana is seven teaspoons of sugar. Now, here's the important thing. 
a normal healthy amount of sugar for a woman is six teaspoons a day. You have your glass of orange juice, you've already exceeded. And as soon as you go above six and a man, nine teaspoons of sugar, you start developing fatty liver disease, just like the penguins and the bears. So, I mean, this is just, you know, crazy. We've got so much, you know, sugar coming in all, you know, 150 pounds plus per person per year, plus the 200 pounds of grain that also all turns into sugar. So it's no wonder, you know, our lifespan, our, our you know, our health spans are, are being so totally, you know, corrupted. So the LB5, LB100 plan that we do, the LB5 has to be to reverse this insulin resistance by basically not, I mean, we are now using some of these uh, peptides like, you know, semi-glutide, but basically a well-formulated keto diet, some intermittent fasting, some semi-glutide, a little walking every day, and, you know, basically we use a couple of supplements that are very effective. And I mean, you literally can cure your diabetes, literally, and we do it every day. We've got thousands of patients who've done it. And basically, um, once you do that, you can then look towards, you know, all the longevity and emerging longevity um, sort of uh, techniques that... Mm -hmm you know, you're very interested in, I know, with your podcasts and things, but it doesn't make sense to spend all the money on these longevity techniques unless you've got your hemoglobin A1C and insulin and uric acid, you know, down under control. Normal uric acid for a woman is 3.5 and for a man, 4.5. And, um, you know, most of the people I see, uric acid and fasting insulins and A1Cs are way, 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 way high. And the um, the other thing then for the normal person who doesn't want to ever hear the word di you know type two diabetes then should they stop eating fruit um, if they're you know they're totally healthy but they don't want to incur a, a a future with type two and fructose being the root cause would would that mean that all fruit has to get off the um, the diet or is are there any yeah. fruits so, yeah. So look, there are obviously you got you got some good tables that show you know obviously some berries, and, like, like and blueberries. yeah, blueberries, red berries, strawberries. The the red berries have uh, you know and the and the blackberries are all fine. But you know that it has to be in moderation as well. The you know you can't be having a big bowl of berries every morning for for breakfast. But the the other thing is that. Uh, you, you were mentioning the, um, you know, what to do, you know, should people eat fruit? Look, it's, there's also clearly a small genetic component. I mean, I would say 15 to 20%. And most of it is epigenetic. It's mostly your lifestyle that contributes. But, you know, if both your parents and your grandparents and everyone had diabetes, that would indicate to me, look, there's some genetic propensity here. And we can measure this now with methylation data quite easily. But th those people will, should probably be very cautious with the amount of fruits that they eat. And again, you know, these sugar monitors are great for showing, you know, what happens to your blood sugar after you have, you know, a bowl of berries or a couple of oranges or something like that. So there are ways of easily measuring this. But generally speaking, you know, some fresh fruit, um, you know, uh, added to the diet, particularly some of the low glycemic uh, fruits, um, you know, uh, some people can have, but if 88% of the population is insulin resistant, well, that, that's your answer. You know, how can you start eating lots of fruit? I mean, you, you can't. And so um, I know online there, is a, there are NEMDR charts that show the glycemic index. So I guess one first step for a lot of people who are proactive about their health and preventing type 2 diabetes would be to look, uh, copy that glycemic index. Um, yeah, and, and remember that comes with the glycemic load. The glycemic load is actually more important than the glycemic index. But okay. yeah, so you you really need both, uh, you know, to see. But yes, it's a good, you know, it's a good indication. And those tables are, you know, freely 
you know, freely available. I mean, when you look at the, the grams of carbohydrates, which I think is the most important of the macronutrients to count. And remember, I mean, just uh, 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 information is that, look, carbs is what drives your insulin way, way high. Um, protein, if you eat too much, you can get a bump in your insulin from the protein. But the only macronutrient doesn't bump your carbohydrate, I mean, your your um, insulin is is fat. Fat is really your friend. Healthy fat is really what we need. And this is where I'm, you know, incredibly mystified by Ansel Keys because because of his his you know results which were not correct. His so-called twenty-two and then became seven country study. Um, this is where the dietary guidelines of America came from because. You know, he had this postulate that, oh, your, you know, your plumbing problem, your cholesterol get builds up in your arteries, you have a heart attack, which is absolutely nonsense. But here's the here's the the thing: we changed, the government changed, and and basically, Keys was directly responsible for us decreasing our fat intake to about 30, 35 percent, and increasing our carbohydrates to 55% or more, you know, the, the old, you know, that little triangle where, you know, this was the, uh, the pyramid, you know, the food pyramid, you know, even the American Heart Association was saying you have to eat six to 12 servings of carbohydrates and, you know, all this and, you know, drink some fruit juice and all this stuff. I mean, we are basically poisoned, not only America, but the rest of the world. So, so this was such bad advice. And you can see the amount of diabetics, heart disease, and all these things track as, right. we, you know, as we change the macronutrients of our diet. And remember Pritikin and Dr. Dean Ornish. I bet, uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Ornish, who lives here in Sausalito, right next door to me and, and where I am in Tiburon, um, I actually, he, he rented my house in Hawaii one time, and I remember having a conversation with him uh, about his change of belief systems, because he was one of the originals that was the low fat, you know, no more than 10% of fat in your diet daily uh, was, was the uh, kind of mantra that was guiding people back then. Yeah, and it, it was really, I mean, you know, predicting these things, it was well-meaning and obviously cutting out a lot of the crap out of the diet, which they did, you know, yeah. helped them. But, you know, the truth is men who eat just a 10% low-fat diet like Pritikin and, and Ornish and these guys, they actually, um, four out of five men will have an atherogenic profile, you know, with small LDL and, you know, you can measure this now, um, you know, fairly accurately. And then very interesting, if you go up to, you know, 20% or 25% of fat diet, uh, the instead of four out of five, you know, three out of five people, you know, men have an atherogenic. And then people are eating 45% plus, you know, only about one out of five uh, men have an atherogenic profile. So we know, look, hunter-gatherers, there, there's very little archaeological evidence, anthropomorphic evidence, uh, you know, any kind of evidence to show that humans ever ate just a pure plant-based diet. Right. So it, there is some truth that as we get older because of nutrient sensors like mTOR, um, which, you know, we don't want to eat too much red meat. I think as we get into our, you know, 60s and 70s, you want to maybe eat a little more fish, a little more plant-based diet. But, you know, I, I really believe that for most of human history, you know, at least for the last, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, you know, several hundred thousand years, I mean, we always ate, you know, some, you know, uh, meat and fish and berries and fruit and things. And, you know, uh, we were omnivores. I mean, I, I believe that. Um, I mean, I know some people go to the extreme now, they do carnivore diets. Yes, you know, there are a lot of good things, but there are also, you know, a number of deficiencies. And, you know, there's the same thing with vegans, you know, those are the two extremes. So I think somewhere in between is is what makes sense. And the, the other thing I think is so important, and I I learned this from, um, uh, I think, Tim Noakes in South Africa. You know, one of his his great books is, was called, uh, you know, real, uh, you know, real nutrition. And it's, it, you know, I think 
if you eat real food, not packaged or boxed or tinned, or you know, if you eat real food, you largely will, you know, limit the amount of sugars and things you put in, in, in you know, into your body. So let's talk about the healthy fats because we don't want people to listen to what you're saying today and think, oh, I can go eat uh, canola oil or safflower oil or mm. some of these trans fats that are uh, very unhealthy. So give us a, a, a short list of the healthy fats yeah. that should be including in our diet daily. Sure. So, you know, also the other whole thing about, you know, money, monosaturated, uh, polysaturated fats, et cetera, et cetera. But a couple of important points. Look, when you cook, you, you don't only use olive oil. Olive oil is great cold on your salads yeah. and things like that. But you want to cook with butter. I usually advise people to get, you know, the Kerry Gold grass-fed Irish butter, um, which is good to cook with. Or what Indians use, which is ghee. You know, the ghee, some people don't like the taste of ghee, but ghee has a very high smoke point. The reason you don't want to use plant oils of any, and a, you know, there are a couple you can use. You can cook with coconut oil or avocado oil, right. but all things like Pam sprays and canola and safflower oils and olive oil, you don't want to heat. Olive okay. oil, uh, you know, with a little balsamic or lemon juice, great on your salads. But um, you and you do that because the only time cholesterol maybe does any you know bad things to you is if you know if you oxidize the 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 fats there with heat, you can get you know more of these uh, LDL particles, the smaller ones that can get you know under your endothelium and things. But for the most part, um, you know, healthy fats. I mean, from meat, from fish. You know, from yogurt, um, I, I like yogurt also for the for the you know for the for the microbiome. You know, the microbiome loves fermented foods, and obviously you want to get yogurt without all the berries and things because they they tend to be very very high. So you just have plain phage yogurt or Greek yogurt, and you know things like that are are healthy. And butter, believe it or not, is you know I know there was a Time magazine picture which was great. They had a piece of bread with a butter on top. Well, you know if you believed uh, keys, you'd never eat a, a block of butter in your life, and you know you'd eat the carbohydrate, which is absolutely wrong. You're better off eating the butter than you are the carbs. And also remember, all the flour now is it, most of it is now contaminated with glyphosate. You know Roundup, so it's very toxic. Roundup is tremendously toxic to the microbiome. You know, one in six people now supposedly have some type of autoimmune disease, and all this autoimmune disease comes from a you know a leaky gut, which is very much related to you know what we're eating. And obviously, people should be careful of taking you know, PPIs and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and antibiotics. I mean, all this is is incredibly toxic to the to the microbiome, which is very, very, very important. Right. But, and, you know, the mitochondria also terribly. I mean, I believe in all the hallmarks of aging that uh, Carlos uh, Lopez, you know, published in, in, in 2013. Uh, he had nine hallmarks of aging. Um, and obviously the microbiome wasn't actually included there because it was still new and you know research was just coming out but you know those those 10 hallmarks of aging to me are all affected by metabolic stress which is insulin resistance and psychological stress i mean that is the major reason we age we get premature disease our health span is shortened and our lifespan is shortened so um, and I'd also like to mention something. I don't know how much time you we have left, Michelle. We have a few minutes to talk about epigenetics. Yes. Uh, let's see. We have uh, 15 minutes, so we're good. Oh, okay, good. So, look, epigenetics. Let me explain. Genetics, you know, they, they we finished, I think, the Human Biome Project from 1990, I think it was 2003, and we thought, oh, okay, now we've deciphered deciphered the, the all the dna that we should be really able to cure a lot of metabolic and chronic and you know all these diseases but to be honest we've really come up short there's very little evidence that we have to date that many of the things we die from is directly related to the the genetic you know the genes are the hardware what we now realize like I often tell patients, genes load the gun, but your lifestyle pulls the trigger. Your lifestyle is 
basically the epigenetics, which was described by Waddington back in the 40s, but it's a, epigenetics means above the gene. And what we now know is that genes are turned on and off all day long, all the cells. And what turns them on are these epigenetic things. And so, for instance, just to give you a little short thing, look, in, in, in 2013, uh, Steve Horworth from UCLA had a pan tissue clock. It was the first age clock, but it didn't actually measure so much your biological age. It measured your chronological age. And then Morgan Levine from Yale in about 2019 had a second generation clock, which was where she took, uh, you know, nine different things and 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 there was some correlation they looked at the, you know what methylation things were causing disease and what it want but the the one i really want to talk about is a plug for a friend of mine um uh, basically uh, ryan smith at true diagnostic i i believe that ryan has the best age clock currently out there i don't like uh, david sinclair's one uh, you know tally health they don't have the data and research that that uh, ryan smith has and they measure basically 950,000 cpg units on your dna and they give you a nice 76 80 page report and what is the most important thing i find there is you can measure your pace of aging that means Normally, if you think about chronological and biological age, normally it's like one to one, right? You get one year older, you're one year biologically, your organs are one year younger. Well, it's not true. We now know, and you see this every day, Michelle, you'll see people, you know, they're 40 years old and they look like they're 70 and vice versa. You know, you'll see some people 70 and they look like they're in their 40s. So this is the phenotypic biological aging, what's happening. And here's the most important thing. If you can because age is your biggest risk factor for chronic disease and death. But if you can lower your biological age by just seven years, you can lower your risk of all chronic disease by more than 50%. So let me just tell you a little bit about pace of aging. I think your listeners would find it interesting. The pace of aging study was actually done because of people from Dunedin, which is in the South Island of New Zealand. Back in 1976, they took about 1,500 people that were born, and they've been following them now for over 50 years. And what they did, they looked at a lot of the markers. You know, it might have been grip strength or, or um, you know, your gum health or your brain health. And, you know, they're doing MRIs and doing all these studies on these people. And they correlated and showed how people, by adopting some healthy lifestyle changes, you can actually slow down up to six months in any one year. You can slow down your biological age. If you're screwing up and you're drinking and eating too much and stress and too much fructose and all these things, too much alcohol, you actually advance your biological age by four years. So I don't think anti-aging will be able to be practiced without using something like true diagnostic test because you want to know if you're going to your doctor for an anti-aging program or you're taking a bunch of these uh, nutraceuticals or pharmaceuticals, you want to know that these things are making a difference. It's slowing down your biological age, which should really be the goal, you know, of any anti-aging program. So, you know, I'm excited um, and I'm embarking now on a study where we're looking at seeing just with our Live Below Five program where we can, you know, put people on a program just for three months. You know, I believe once we start, uh, you know, dropping all these, these, some of these blood biomarkers like hemoglobin A1C and things, I believe very strongly that we are going to see market changes in biological age in a very short space of time, which we've never been able to see before. So I, 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 I really think that people are going to hear a lot about epigenetics in the years ahead. So what do you think about um, measuring telomeres and, and the DNA? Do you feel that that's also the hallmark? No, no I, mean, I mean, look, I, I love the book by um, uh, the lady, uh, uh, what was her name, Blackburn, Elizabeth Blackburn, and also the girl from UCLA, you know, the, yes. the telomere effect. And right. what was very interesting in that book, which 
also, I think, validates some of my thinking is that the metabolic stress and psychological stress definitely they showed shortens your telomeres and obviously shorter telomeres you probably have a higher risk of dying however the telomere which by the way true diagnostic measures the telomeres but they are not as predictive and as accurate for truly measuring biological age it it is somewhat correlated but not as well as these epigenetic tests but you know in in um, the telomere effect i think what was very interesting is you could see that, uh, you know, if you had a, a parent with Alzheimer's and you were the primary caregiver, or if you had a, you know, some child that had some bad sort of medical issues and you were the the prime caregiver, these these people's telomeres shortened because of the psychological stress that um, you know the these people felt. You know, you can you, you probably I don't know if you've ever had someone or a parent with Alzheimer's and things. It's a tremendously you know, you can't leave some of these people alone. You have to be with them pretty much 24-7. So it it is a tremendous stress on, on the body. And, I, you know, I think the whole mind-body, um, you know, thing, which we've only really been that aware of in the last 50, 60 years, is tremendously important. I mean, every thought you have in your head registers a physical effect in your body. So I, I, I don't think, you know, the DNA testing per se, yes, it will give you some ideas, but I, I think the epigenetic test is where the gold is. Mm -hmm. So before we run out of time, I, I just want to go back to two things. You said so much that, you know, that, that, that we could spend three hours just going over what you've talked about, but just, just so that people don't forget. So let's go back first to the fructose. So I just want to be sure that people know that they can eat fruit, just don't eat a lot of fruit and don't make that the primary focus. Like they were, there was a time, remember when people were fruitarians and they were eating only fruit and that was like totally devastating to health. So, so just, you know, recognize that you cut back on, on, on the number of fruits that you eat in a day, but don't give up eating fruit. The second thing you said on the oils or on the fats is to be sure to cut out all the fats that are not, um, that are, that are not polyunsaturated. So you want the, you want to keep olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, um, butter, which is if it's grass fed butter, all the better. Or grass, they, yeah, grass fed meats, wild fish, you know, nice right. salmon, tuna and things like that. Okay. Nice fatty fish, sardines, all that type of thing. All very, very healthy. And, um, you know, the trans fats are the thing. And I, I'm, I understand the government is trying to get trans fats out of our system. But, you know, most frozen foods and, um, you know, these frozen pizzas and all these type of things, they have a lot of uh, cookies, cakes, you know, all these things, they have a lot of trans fats in them. And you know, that's, that's what you want to stay away from. Excuse me, Graham, but isn't one of those uh, that is dangerous, isn't that palm oil that you see in a lot of the baked goods that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's not necessarily a healthy a healthy fat either. But again, I, I you know, I, I, fats are important. Eating healthy fats, and I think people have to get it. You know, everyone knows their cholesterol level, but you know, who knows what their fasting sugar is, which is far more important. You know, you need to know your fasting. If you look at your fasting sugar and your fasting insulin, you can multiply those and divide by four or five. Only about 10% of people have their HOMA IR test. That's an insulin resistant test. And you want to have that below 1.2. Most people are above that. 88%, 90% of Americans are above 1.2. Under 1.2 means you have metabolic flexibility and insulin sensitivity, which oh, is. What really is that test again? What's it called? Called the HOMA IR, HOMA IR test. And it's very easy, H-O-M-A. You could look it up in, in people's, uh, you know, WhatsApp or whatever, I mean, on the uh, you know, Google. But, but you do help your doctor to include that in any blood work? Yeah, you should. You you want to multiply the fasting sugar, person's fasting, fasting sugar by the fasting insulin and divide the product by 405 and hopefully you're less than 1.2. Okay, that's very helpful. Well, the other thing that I wanted to mention is on cholesterol. So people should understand that your absolute cholesterol 
which is what you know a lot of doctors base their their uh, pharmaceutical statin drug prescriptions on it's not the measure of predictive of heart disease so so as graham mentioned if you have cholesterol over 200 let's say 212 which is what mine was last time you shouldn't panic because it's really your the size of your particles uh, and that's where the LDL, the low density lipoproteins come in. I don't want to take, you know, away from what you would say about this, Graham, but I just want to keep it simple for people to understand that when you go to your doctor, make sure that they're doing the tests that measure the, uh, the particle size and also that you get your ratio, your LDL to, you know, HDL, high density is the good and low density is the bad. So can you just add to that? To yeah, sure I mean, it's, what's much more important is your triglycerides. Triglycerides, which is the other blood fat, which yeah. they measure in your lipid panel, is six times more predictive of heart disease than cholesterol. And yeah. looking at your triglyceride HDL ratio, if that's above two, you have uh -huh. you're a little in trouble and if it's a you know i see most people with diabetes their triglyceride hdl ratios are very much close to three or even a lot higher than three so triglycerides are the the key thing the other thing i i you know i've never seen any convincing evidence that putting a woman on a statin has ever increased her life by you know one year or six uh -huh. months right. so you know i i think yes if you've had a heart attack and you've had a stent and right. a bypass. These people, yes, and you're probably taking it not for your cholesterol, you're taking it because statins have some anti-inflammatory effect, which right. they more recently recognized. But you know, for people who haven't had a heart attack, you can easily correct everything just with a decent, right. well-formulated keto diet. In fact, studies from the Verta group show that 24 out of 26 of your risk factors go down when you implement a well-formulated keto diet with a little intermittent fasting. So, you know, I think people are just, you know, terribly excited about the cholesterol. And for me, it's a non-issue. A non, a non okay. Well, I just got the signal that uh, we, <laughs> we've run out of time, but I just want to be sure to tell people how to reach you, Graham, because I know you're doing so much good work. And, you know, there are people that could consult with you long distance if they want to. Um, I'm sure you could do it on Zoom, right? With some people that yeah, are- Yeah, we, do, we, do we do a lot of that. And we've got some good health coaches as well as, you know, certified docs. So, you know, okay. we obviously want to reinvent healthcare in a way which is really, our, our mission is to democratize healthcare globally. I mean, that's really our mission. So could you just give us the correct uh, contact info so the people can reach to, reach out to you? And I, no, I, 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 the easiest is just probably Graham at um, lb5100.com. Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, okay. lb5100.com. Okay. okay, so LB5100 is the um, the name of your new enterprise, right, that you're you're working on and that means live below 100 which yeah, is live, live below five to live beyond 100 that's how we get the lb5100.com that's okay. that's what we're about yeah and okay. we've been doing it for probably four or five years in many countries outside the u.s but we're just opening in a number of centers throughout america at the moment okay good so and i know that uh, your ceo uh, has contacted me uh, from uh, australia uh, her name is sarah and she and i are working on some incentives for uh, the viewers today we'll put that on my website i don't want to get into the, the the complicated part of that but it's very generous and i know that people will be interested so please check my website under michelle recommends and that's at uh, www dot agelessandtimeless.com and uh, that would be under Graham's uh, our podcast today which will probably air in, in another maybe week or so. Uh, so I want to say goodbye to everybody and thank you so much Dr. Simpson. Uh, we've had an amazing discussion today. You, you know yeah, so much. Thank, no, thanks very much for inviting me. I, I love uh, to 
get some of the new the new in, information out to people. So well, information is power, right? And yeah. you certainly yeah. have a powerful message to tell to the world. So uh, have a wonderful day, everybody. And don't forget to subscribe and like the podcast and like this channel if you um, if you could. And um, uh, we will see you again in another week. Take care. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.